So um, we've been doing a series on Leviticus, and tonight we look at the third chapter, which is the second of a series of five uh, sacrifices in the book of Leviticus to start out. We're not going to look at all of them. This is the last one tonight. We skip the second one. We're going to skip the fourth and fifth one. Tonight we're looking at the fellowship or the peace offering. Before we go there, I want to start by telling you this. One man by the name of uh, Ray Cortez, um, a sort of spiritual mentor of mine, tells the story of taking a road trip to the backwoods of uh, southern Georgia. He was driving up uh, north on Highway 95 from Florida, and he tells of the twists and the turns that brought him to this place called the Old School Diner. Has anybody ever heard of this place? Any Georgians in here? You ever heard of it? Okay, good. It's going to make this story awesome then. Um, it was one of those like famous dives that you hear about, right? One that was written up in Southern Living Magazine, and it was in a tiny little place near the small towns of between, kind of between Townsend and Darien, Georgia. A small little place for sure. And to get there, you have to take this dirt road off of uh, Highway 95 through these woods that, that turn and, and bend. And when you arrive at the old school diner, here's what you'll find. You'll find a series of mobile homes. Well, Ray says that when they arrived, they knew they were someplace special because there on the grass where all the cars were parked were just carpets. You parked on carpets. But they really knew they were at a special place when, as they were turning the key off the ignition, out through the door of the diner, a heavy-set African-American man welcomed them with the warmest of greetings. And then, as if that weren't enough, Jerome, that was his name, came walking down to the car before they could get out of the car and wrapped his big, burly arms around them, gave them both hugs, and said this, Welcome. Come on in. We've been waiting on you. I saw you coming up the road, and I already put the hush puppies on. I'm glad you're here. Now at that moment, Ray says this. Ray says that in that moment, Jerome was telling me something about the very heart of God. That inasmuch as Jerome was waiting on him and welcoming him to his table, that the same thing is true of God Himself. That God welcomes us. But moreover, He welcomes sinners is what we know. He longs to be with them and He longs for us to be with Him. You see, tonight when we come to this chapter in Leviticus chapter 3, we're going to read of what is called the peace or the fellowship offering. And what lies at the heart of this particular offering, this particular sacrifice, y'all, is something astounding. What is it? Well, hang with me. Remember the story that God's people have found themselves in. Remember, these people are stiff-necked. They are hard-hearted. They are rebellious They actually say, after they have been delivered out of slavery, they say to Moses, God's representative, we wish we were back. We want to be back in slavery because this stinks so bad. They're stiff-necked. They're hard-hearted. And God says to them, ready? I love you train wrecks, you. God in His infinite mercy to them wants to show them that He still welcomed people like this. So, enter the fellowship offering. You see, in it, we see very clearly what God, listen, 
we see very, very clearly what God thinks of busted, broken, and sinful people like me. Probably like you. Here's what he thinks. Ready? He says this, just like Jerome. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Come on in. So tonight as we look at this peace offering, I want to, sh- I want to show you just a couple of things. Here they are. Ready? I want us to see what it, was, uh, what it was, first of all, what the peace offering was. Secondly, what that peace offering was for. And then lastly, who it was for. So what it was, what it was for, and who it was for. And in the end, y'all, I want us to be staggered tonight by God's grace. And I really do think it's here, and it's this beautiful picture So I pray that you'll listen up, turn your cell phones off for just a moment, and give me your ears. Okay, so let's take a look at what it was. Well, before you can understand the significance of the peace offering, I need for you to uh, first take a look at actually what was going on. If you were with us a few weeks ago, you remember me talking about the burnt offering. Uh, That was Leviticus chapter 1. And tonight, we want to look a little bit at how those two are in common. Here we go. Here's some areas of commonality. First, both involve the bringing of an animal into the tabernacle. Both involve the offerer laying their hands on and pressing their hands upon uh, the animal right before it was sacrificed. This spilled blood that came out of the animal as well was very, very important in the peace offering too because it showed forth atonement. It showed forth ransom that only life can pay for life. This is what is going on here. And the text tells us too that after the animal's blood was spilled, it was then taken and splattered on the altar, and then something else was amazing. This did not happen in the burnt offering. First of all, the animal's fat from its entrails were offered up on the altar and burned. So it was only the fat part. Uh, You read it there, it talks about parts from the kidneys and the liver and that sort of deal. These were laid up on the altar and they were burned. Now, uh, this is very, very interesting, and uh, I want to ask this question because you're probably wondering, why does it talk about the fat of the animal? What, what's that all about? Well, here's what it was. Um, in our culture today, we are sort of fat-averse. You know, we don't, want to, we don't like thinking about eating fat. But in an in a agrarian, uh, Near Eastern culture like that, meat was an incredible delicacy. You didn't just go down to the supermarket and get a filet mignon, okay? So fat was the best part of the animal. It was the piece that was most flavorful. I mean, for those of you that eat steak and you like meat, hang with me on this. If you've ever had a filet mignon, it's really, really tender. It tastes wonderful, but it doesn't have very much fat in it at all. But if you like a ribeye, those suckers are marbled with fat. They've got an incredibly rich flavor. And you have to begin to kind of get that as a picture of your mind. The fat of the animal was always seen as the delicacy. So what's going on? The sacrifice is taking the best part of the animal and giving it to who? Giving it to God. And then as the fire licked that up and burned it up, it was a symbolic picture of God Himself consuming the best part of the animal. But, and here's what I really want you to see... In the peace offering, once the fat was removed from the animal and burned up, guess what happened? The worshiper got to take the rest of the animal home. They got to take the animal home and they got to eat on it. Their community, their family got to take the remains of the beef or the remains of the sheep and go home and have a meal 
and eat and to feast. And this is what was incredibly unique about the peace offering. No other sacrifice allows the worshiper to eat that which was offered. And what this means is, put very simply, is if you'll look up here, that the peace offering then was a symbolic act, y'all, demonstrating a shared meal between God and man. Think about that. That the peace offering was a symbolic meal demonstrating a shared meal between God and man. And if you know anything about meals in ancient Jewish culture, they symbolized fellowship and peace and protection and flourishing. They symbolized acceptance and welcome between the two parties. If you've ever seen the show, The Game of Thrones, or read the books, uh, The Song of Fire and Ice, you'll know a little bit of what I'm talking about when you hear the language of salt and bread. If you've heard someone say that in the show, here's what they're talking about. To eat with them, to eat salt and bread underneath a particular person's house was a mark of hospitality, welcome, and protection. If they ate with you, if they shared salt and bread with you, you protected them. You could not harm them even if they were your worst enemies, and they could not harm you. But think about this too, even in our non-fictional world. We know this. We know that when we eat together, aren't we sharing life together in some way? It's not a stretch to say that a shared meal is this incredible act of, of hospitality, right? That demonstrates welcome and acceptance. How many of y'all had this at your Thanksgiving meals growing up? You probably still have it. You might be one of these. There is an adult table, and then there's what? There's the kids' table, right? And the day is coming that if you hadn't been invited yet to the big kids, the adults table, the day is coming and it is glorious, let me tell you. That's a symbolic act. And if you've ever gone through that, you know what it is. It's to be welcomed. It is almost a rite of passage. Welcomed into the adult life of the family. Well, listen. The fellowship offering, y'all, was a symbolic picture of God and the worshiper eating together. It was a picture, therefore, of acceptance and welcome and care and protection by God. That's what the fellowship offer was for. That's what it was. Now listen, I think this really raises a great point for us. And this this is as follows. How do you understand the kind of relationship that God has with His people? Hang with me on this. Think for just a moment. I think that most of us kind of, if we're not familiar with Christianity, we think, yeah, God is that like ogre in the sky. He's just out to get me and He's hard to please. And He's really, really angry so you don't want to tick Him off. Or maybe, maybe for you, your vision and view of God is that God is a, it's a business contract. That I'm... Um, He's the sort of employer, I'm the employee, and if he does what he does and I do what we do, we can sort of get along. Or maybe you have this image. Maybe you think that he, um, he's just some sort of distant sugar daddy, that he's never around, he never wants anything to do with us, he gives big presents at Christmas and birthdays to compensate for his absence in the rest of life. Well, listen, the fellowship offering shows us that God is somebody who delights in feasting with His people. He welcomes them. See, don't you know that even in the Bible, that heaven itself is pictured as a wedding what? Feast. It's a feast. 
God eating with his people forever. Think of what happens when you're around the meal. Think about this, a slow meal. Just maybe you've had one of these in your life. One that you take your time over and you enjoy really, really good food. No one's in a rush to get up. You're there to enjoy your company and to be enjoyed too. And this is just a taste, yes, pun intended, of what God is saying that the peace offering is all about. The peace offering, y'all, shows us something about the intimacy and the affection that God has with His people. He longs to dine with us, to enjoy our presence, and for us to enjoy Him. But y'all, there's more. The fellowship offering is meant to tell us something about the kind of feasting that we have too. In other words, it tells us the point of the feast. It tells us what the feast was actually for. Why do we get together and eat? And so that's what our second point takes us to here. And that is, what was this feast for? Now, one of the things you have to think about when you come to the fellowship offering is you have to ask yourself, what do people actually eat for? Now, hang with me on this. Hang with me. Think of the person that eats because they have nothing uh, to eat but like insects and grubs and they're out in the wilderness and they're just eating to survive. So eat whatever they can. Okay? It's eating to survive. Or uh, think of the person who runs a long marathon and they get to pick up their little goo packs and they suck them down because they need the energy. Okay? Well, listen, that's not what's going on at all in uh, the fellowship offering. It's a different type of feasting. This is not the eating of necessity. No, hang with me. This is the eating of a massive celebration. It is the eating of a fantastic and wonderful party. I just got back from a gathering of uh, three other friends who are pastors in different parts of the country. And we get together annually to talk about life. We talk about our marriages. We talk about our joys and frustrations in our work. We talk about our pains. We pray together. But one of the things that we love to do together is we love to sit down and eat. We love to eat together because we want to celebrate the good things in life. So we spend lots of money on good food. And we love doing it. Why? Because of this, y'all. Because God Himself is a God that wines and dines us with the finest affair. You see, we try to picture this kindness and goodness of God with one another precisely because this is what God has done with us. Consider Psalm 36 up here on the screen. Listen to what the psalmist writes. He says this in verse 6 and 7, How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind, they take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Here it is. They feast on the abundance of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your delights. Do you see it? It's a picture of God's love for His people as welcome guests at His bountiful, full table. Jesus Himself in Luke chapter 14 gives us the same picture. You may remember this. He's at a dinner party, and one guy stands up and he says, how blessed it's going to be to be able to eat in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus then tells the story about how heaven itself will be a banquet, a banquet with every seat full. Why? Here it is. Because God Himself will make sure that every last ounce of His goodness and His kindness is spent on His people. That's amazing. The peace offering is saying the same thing. 
that in it God is saying this, that being in relationship with me, that being in relationship with me at its core is a feast, a celebration, a party, and that I relate to you in such a way that all the richest and finest of food and drink and I was on offer to you, it's a king's feast with the resources of the kingdom to buy the finest food for you and for me to celebrate together. That's what lies at the heart of the gospel. And that's what this fellowship feast is telling us. You see, do you see this? For those of you who are Christians, do you understand your relationship to Christianity in this way? You see, I just simply want to ask you, what lies at the heart of Christianity? What Do you see a picture of festal joy? A party? Is that what comes to your mind when you think of your relationship with God? Is it? That's what this text is telling us. And I think this imagery of feasting is helpful for us in a couple of ways. Here's the first one. One, to nourish the weary. It's a picture of people in need coming and being nourished, right? So look, I don't know about you, but the more I get involved with college students, the more I see how incredibly spiritually tired they really are. You don't have to raise your hand, but I just ask you, are you spiritually exhausted? Do you feel like you're just spinning your wheels to get God to notice you? To get God to love you? You're just trying to keep up by doing all the right things and staying away from all the bad things. Is that tire- Are you tired yet? How in the world is that working out? Here's the good news. A table has been set for you. There's a place. The board is spread. Come and eat. The Bible reminds us that God is coming saying, you come freely. Get your butt here. Come feast at my table. Quit trying. Come and sit. Come and rest. All of our good works, like imagine this. Imagine going to a king's feast and pulling out of your pocket as you're about to sit down. A president invites you to eat. And you go to a presidential feast and you reach in your pocket... Right? And you pull out a smushed bologna sandwich. You're like, I'm all good, dog. I got this. So we're good. That's an insult. But here's what the thing is. When you try to show up at the king's feast based on your own efforts and on your own works and on your own merits, you know what you're doing? You're showing up at a king's feast pulling out a bologna sandwich and saying, I'm all good. Come to the table. Eat and feast. But it also asks us this, I think. Secondly, it forces us to examine what we actually think about Christianity. I just want to ask you, listen y'all. Many of us view Christianity as a duty. It is forced labor. We think this, life sucks for a few years here on earth, but once we get through it, we'll finally get to the goods when we get to heaven. Well, I just want to tell you, the peace offering says this, life with God is a rich blessing. It is a joy. Certainly not always and only, but it's not less than that. And so I just want to ask you, if you are a Christian, do you view Christianity that way? Do you? If not, why? Why? What is present in your life that is clouding your view of the real Jesus that sets His table full for you to come eat? You see, is Christianity only boring to you? Is it? You know... If people were to look at your life, does your life say this? Hey, look at me. I follow Jesus and my life is miserable. 
I mean, is that the picture? It, it's telling us something about what we actually view Christianity as. This is telling us it's a feast, y'all. It's a celebration feast for you in Jesus. The fellowship offering, therefore, was not just food the worshiper took home. It was to be a picture of the rich bounties of God's grace. It was this picture of celebration with God Himself. But why? Why an actual celebration? What's the cause of the celebrating? We don't know that yet. What was that cause? And it's lastly that we turn to find out the answer to this question. Who the feast was for. And when we answer that, we find out the why it was actually a celebration. Remember what happens here in the text, right? The animal is brought before uh, the altar. The animal's fat was burned. The worshiper went home with a meal to eat. And this was symbolic. This uh, shedding of life was symbolic of atonement for the worshiper himself. And you cannot miss this because if you do, you will miss what I'm about to say. That this meal, if it assumes atonement, it assumes a problem, it assumes a sinner. And what that means is, is that God doesn't invite perfect people to this table, but He welcomes people like you and me. Sinners. Broken people. Folks who can't keep it together. It's not the dignitaries that feast at the king's table, no. It's the needy broken people. It's the folks who know their need of grace that have a seat waiting for them to feast on all that the king offers and to celebrate at the party. The fellowship offering was a covenant meal that showed forth the amazing love and delight that God has towards sinners when sin is dealt with. It's a picture of extreme grace that shows that God welcomes sinners and delights in showing them good. Y'all hang with me for just a moment on this. How many of you may remember the story from Luke chapter 15? It's the story of the son who takes the father's inheritance. He says, I wish you were dead, dad. Give me my money. And then what does he do with it all? He goes away in a far country and he just spends it on wild, reckless living. He blows his money on, on partying, on prostitutes, and he finds himself face down in pig poop. And he has a moment where he says this, it's better in my father's house, so I'm going to go home. And guess what happens as he comes across the hill in the story? There on the front porch is his father. And his father sees him from a long way off after blowing his, after blowing his life away. And the father lifts up his, uh, his skirt, his pants at the time, and says, I'm running after my son and when he does, he lays a big, fat, wet, slobbery kiss on his son's neck because he loves his son. And what's the next thing that he does? He tells his servants, go. Go get the fatted calf. Kill it. It's time to party. It's time to celebrate. Why? Because my son who was lost has come home. My sinful son is back and we're going to party. That's a small picture of what this is telling us. The peace offering is telling us that God delights in feasting not with perfect people, not with people who have it all together, but people who don't. God delights in dining with sinners. And therefore, I just simply want to say tonight, where are you? Where are you? Are you off in the far country? Do you smell pig poop? Are you there? 
Can I just remind you? Your Father is waiting for you to come home. And there is a party ready for you. That's the picture of the gospel. He says, come. This is huge because see, look, if you believe, if you, if you believe this, it changes the way that you actually think about Christianity itself. It means that what lies at what, what, what is the thing that admits you to God's table is not how many Bible studies you go to. It's not how many boys you didn't make out with or girls you didn't make out with. It's not how many church attendances you go to. It's not how many times you read your Bible. Do you know what it is that makes you ready to come to the table? Your need. Your lack of. Your brokenness. That's what gets you at the table. That's what's at the heart of of finding yourself at the king's table. Grace is a gift. It is never earned. The feast of God is for those who are in fact weary and tired of trusting in their own efforts. And the Bible says stop trying to fix things between you and God. Stop. There's a picture of this. Audrey, my daughter, had my little Petzl headlamp. She was playing with it. It fell on the ground. It broke. The batteries went everywhere. She didn't know it was already broken. But she thought it was. And she goes, "Uh uh-oh, Daddy, I broke it. And then she tried to pick the batteries up and try to start putting the thing back in it. And she was just make she could not fix it. She doesn't know how to. She needs to allow her father to fix things. And here's the thing, TCU students. Some of y'all need to quit trying to fix things between you and God. And you need to let your heavenly father fix them. That's what you need to do. You need to come find yourself at his table. Let him wine and dine you. Let him pour out his richest blessings on you. And let Him fix things. And I just want to say this too. But if you are somebody who has experienced this grace in your life, it is high time that you begin to show show and tell others about it. You see, the meal went back. The full bull went back. And you didn't eat at all. Your village did. Your family did. You opened it up to to the people in your community. And so what that means is for some of you, you have tasted this feast. And it's high time that don't you see that there is a desperate need here at TCU for Christianity to be a picture of people so in tune with their sin and brokenness that it makes non-Christians actually look on and say, wait, you don't have to have it all together to find favor with God? You see, if you've tasted the feast, it's time, I I beg you, I beg you to start inviting others to the banquet. This leads one Christian writer to say this. Look what he says. He says this, If the Christian community is going to challenge our culture, we as the church must begin by being a place where the gospel is communally lived out toward the external world. When we do this, the world around us, I love this, will see the lights and hear the music. They will repent and come to the party. This lastly leads, you might have heard me say this, I love this image of what Christianity is. Therefore, Christianity really at its heart is just one beggar showing another beggar where the bread is. Do you believe that? Do you believe TCU needs to hear that? Have you tasted the feast? Who are the beggars that need to hear about it? Where are they? They must bring them. There's a party. There's a party between God and sinners. How in the world then How in the world then can we break bread with God? I mean, think about it. This holy God eating with sinners, how in the world is that going to happen? 
Here it is, ready? Because the bread himself was first broken for us. How in the world can we break bread with God? Because the bread himself was first broken for us. In John chapter 6, Jesus calls himself, I am the bread of life. And then, on his last night together, before he died, he um, said to his friends, as he was handing out bread to them, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. On the cross, y'all, Jesus, the bread of life, was broken for us so that we might be able to break bread at God's great banquet. I'll say that again. That on the cross, Jesus, the bread of life, was broken for us that we might be able to break bread at God's great banquet. In a very interesting point, in Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul picks up the imagery of the peace offering New Testament, reaching back from the Old Testament, speaking of the peace offering. And this is what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. For he himself, speaking about Jesus, are you ready? Is our peace. Who has made us both one, that is between God and man, and man and man as well, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. In other words, y'all, the Levitical peace Fellowship offering finds its fulfillment in Jesus, who is the true peace offering. He Himself was broken for us so that we will never be. And therefore, you have this very moment, if you are in Jesus, the most intimate fellowship with God Himself. If you have trusted Him, you've been invited to the table. Come, eat. Come, celebrate. Come, sinner, and dine with the King of kings, you belong here. You have fellowship with Him. He's been waiting on you. The hush puppies are ready. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank You so much for Your grace. Thank You that this is true, that You want to feast and eat with us. And You've done everything to make that possible. You Yourself, Jesus, our peace offering, have been slaughtered on our behalf have been lifted up on the cross and bled and died for us so that now we might be able to find a feast waiting for us at the King's table. This is good news. We pray that You would make it real even now as we close out in song. It's in Your name that we pray. Amen.